Hey, it's good to see everybody today and welcome uh, to our service. And uh, as they're kind of heading out, got a couple of things to remind you of. Remember, uh, our beach baptism is next weekend. And so that's, that's always just a really a neat thing. So if you're looking uh, and if you need to be baptized, want to be baptized, uh, we, have, uh, we have tables uh, that are out in the lobby that you can sign up today. We're going to sign up today and next Sunday uh, for, for next week's ba beach baptism. So I wanted to tell you about that. Also, too, just so you know, we, um, we are continuing. I decided since I shared with you a whole lot about it over lots of weeks, uh, we're still rolling along with our children's building. It's still doing real well. Uh, we're probably getting close to about halfway, which is pretty good for just a few months. Uh, and, so, uh, and so anyway, we're just going to keep, keep rolling. We'll keep telling you about it. And if you don't know about it, there's information in the lobby, but we're building a, a children's building that is specifically for our kindergarten through our fifth grade uh, here on the campus. Uh, which is basically this group that you just saw, and it's pretty exciting. It's one piece of the puzzle that we uh, that we really need. So uh, so anyway, I wanted to keep reminding, I wanted to tell you about that because I hadn't talked about it in a few weeks. But anyway, but Mother's Day. If you have a Bible, turn to First uh, First Samuel, First Samuel. But Mother's Day, oh, what a great day! You know, I know, uh, I know you've already uh, you've already stood, but uh, but let me do let me do something else too. Um, just you just raise your hands, okay? This time, all right. Uh, if you're a mom, would you raise your hand? Right? All right, yeah, gosh. All right, put it down. All right, if you're a grandmother, raise your hand. I'll take a look around the room, huh? All right, good deal. Yes, my wife's hand is up. That's a little weird. Uh, my wife is a grandmother. I, she's getting older, right? And so, all right, all right, grandmother. That's hard, that's hard to believe. Anyway, we have any great grandmothers. Oh, I want to see you. Wave. Okay, I see you. All right. All right. All right. Do we have any great, great grandmothers? Just in case, want to ask anybody? Anybody have a great, great grandmother? Point them out if they see them. All right. All right. We do have one right here. A great, great grandmother. Congratulations. That's exciting. All right. Yeah, I had a, one of our ladies, uh, it was Joan, Joan Van Spiker, before she went home to be the Lord. She said, Jeff, you know, you're, she's a British accent. She was great accent. She said, she says, you know, Jeff, you know you're getting older. Uh, I just loved her, the way she talked. When your grandchildren are becoming grandparents, I was like, oh, yeah. All right. Anyway. So, hey, so today I just want to talk to moms. I just, uh, uh, you know, I haven't really done this since a family series a couple of years ago. And I just want just today to be an encouragement, but also a little bit instructive in what this looks like and what, uh, and what it means to be a mom. Because I think, I think it's, it's kind of sad that some of the things I'm going to have to share with you have to be said, but they're not, but, but it's just our culture. Uh, our culture has, has, has made this look a lot different. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. But obviously today's title is just the impact of a mom, uh, impact of a godly mom. And in fact, I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said that no man is poor who has a godly mom or a godly mother. Uh, so when you take a look at just some thoughts, it's a, I don't know, to me it's one of the greatest roles. It's one of, it's, I think, to be the most powerful role when it comes down to it, uh, the most powerful, the most powerful role uh, an influential force, I think, basically, in our world. Um, I don't know that there's anyone who has as great an impact 
in a person's life as, as mom does. And that's not to downplay dad. But and when I say an impact, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, sometimes, sometimes it isn't a positive impact. But it is an impact nonetheless. And here's what I'm getting at. Uh, it is, it is, it's, it's just a role that, that God gives. And uh, you saw all of these standing up here. And to me, that it's just incredible to think about this, this role that God gives and the impact that it has along the way. You know, when I think about, when I think about an impact, when I think about things that's happened, I believe, I believe that as, as you think about as moms go, uh, so families go. As families go, so a nation goes. And as nations go, uh, so the world go. So you think about the anchor of the home, but here's, here's what I meant by that thought as far as why the day is so important. I think there's kind of a, a war today, or it's a, it's a cultural war over the importance of, of the role of mom. Uh, and let me just tell you this. I believe the role of mom to be the most important role you could have. I just believe that. And yeah, absolutely. And, let, and let, let me tell you why I have to say that. Because you live in a world where that role is downplayed. Let me tell you how it's being downplayed. Um, folks are telling you that don't let kids get in your way of your goals. You know, don't let them slow you down. They can be a burden. That's the kind of stuff you hear. I'm not saying that's in this room. But that's the role is being attacked as diminished, trying to diminish the importance of the role so that you can do more what, what, you know, your own personal goals. And I'm here to tell you this, and I think you already know this, but it, it, kids will always slow you down. They will always get in your way. The role of mom, that is just what that is. It's dad too. But, but let me tell you, I believe it to be the greatest impact in a person's life. Nobody has neutral feelings about mom. It's just, it's one that is charged because it is so important. And so I want to talk to you about that today. I just, again, I want to encourage you, but also, I also want to challenge you as moms because we've got, we've got lots of moms, lots of grandmoms, and you never stop being a mom, okay? doesn't matter how old they become. Doesn't matter if they're on their own. Doesn't matter if they have their own kids. Uh, it's always that. It's always that role. Okay. It's always that role that that sticks out and the impact that it can have. So I want to talk to you about that today. I think you understand where I'm going with that. And I, and I again, I always want to be a place that encourages moms. I always want to be a place that spurs moms on to be who God's called them to be. And there's the there's the issue. You know, I've, I've said before, um, is that I believe God allows us to get married to teach us not to be selfish. And then I believe he gives us children to finish us off. <laughs> right? Does that make sense? Because if you've ever been in that role, mom or dad, but especially mom, there's no such thing as a, as a good, selfish mother. Why? Because the role of mother by its very nature is, especially at the beginning, all give. Right? 
get a few sparkling moments every once in a while, right? But it's a giving role. You know what? I found something, the way this world is set up, is that God hasn't called us to be self-centered as believers. In fact, I found the more self-centered that people become, the more unhappy they become. We know that to be the truth. We see it all the time. I've told you before, if you want to wreck your kid's life, just give them anything they want anytime they want it. You will wreck their life, and yet that is most people's parenting strategy. I just want to make them happen. You'll just make them miserable. Okay? It's just an incredible thing how it works, this whole thing. So one of the key roles then to, and I think the reason that the role in our culture, not in here, but in our culture is trying to be downgraded is, is because to alleviate the guilt so that you don't let your children stand in the way of what you can achieve. I'm already here to tell you they're going to stand in your way. Okay? They're going to slow you down. They're going to drive you nuts. But it is the most important role in their lives. I know you see it. It's just sometimes it gets cloudy when you live in the world in which we live. So I want to talk to you about it today. I've chosen the story uh, I've actually never shared with you before in the years I've been with you. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. There's just a character in the Bible that I want to talk I want to take a look at. Her name is Hannah, okay? Hannah. The name Hannah means grace. So if your name's Hannah or Anne or Anna, it's all a derivative of the same word, that's what your name means. It just means, just means grace, which is a big deal to me. Obviously, I share with it. I share as often as I can. Obviously, it's a, it's a gift you don't deserve, and, uh, and it just makes for a great look. Anyway, so it's, it's a lady by Haman. Now, I want you to take a look at a couple of things. Take a look at chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this. Now, there was a certain man in that place. In the, <laughs> I tried last night. I'm not doing it again. All right. Uh, in the hill company of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. Okay. He was the son of Jeroam. Okay. Son of Elihu, son of Tohu, uh, fo Tofu, and all of the rest. All right. <laughs> Zuf. Uh, Again, you got it all. All right. Now, here, here we start out, all right? He had two wives, okay? And so this was not, this was not the ideal situation, okay? Uh, the name of one was Hannah and the other was uh, Peninnah, okay? Peninnah had children. Hannah didn't have any children. I want you to see that in the Old Testament, uh, this was never God's best, ever, um, God intended, in fact, Jesus even backed it up. He intended uh, one husband, one wife. It's just that's the way that God set it up from the beginning. And Jesus reaffirmed it when he was sharing and teaching about marriage. But it happened in the Old Testament. And I will tell you this, wherever it happened, it was a disaster. There just was all, can you imagine? I mean, guys, I mean, I don't want to be ugly here. But can you imagine that? Ladies, can you imagine that piece? Well, here's, here's the thing, okay? You're about to see this. In this particular case, uh, you've, got, you've, got, you've got one who had lots of children, you have one that didn't have any. And, um, and when this man, okay, so it was not the ideal situation. All right, but again, this is just a little background just for you to get the story of Hannah. And now this man used to go up year by year okay, from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now remember, 
Samuel, when he was born, you have to remember the, where, where Israel was at the time. Uh, David was the one who conquered Jerusalem, so they didn't even have Jerusalem. And, uh, and so this was before the kings. There were no kings. And so you just had Israel scattered throughout, but Shiloh was kind of a central place where the tabernacle was. Shiloh means God's peace. And so people would go there for their sacrifices and for their festivals and for the other things that were laid out in Exodus through Deuteronomy. So basically this man, Elkanah, okay, he went to worship and uh, where the two sons of Eli, Eli was the high priest, Hophni and Phinehas were his two sons, and and. Obviously, we, we don't have to talk about them, but they wound, up, they wound up really really taking a downturn and not doing very well. But anyway, but one day uh, when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Now, this is how bad this was getting. Now, when you see, again, I just as you read the scriptures, things jump out at you. A couple things that jump out at me here are the plural of sons and the plural of daughters. So we're talking at least four children, probably more. So Penina was the, was the baby factory, okay? And this was a big deal back at that time. It's a big deal today. Maybe not that many, but it's a big deal. And so, so this had to have been years Years. I mean, if you talk about four children, at least four, probably more, you're talking to maybe as long as a decade. And uh, and this was getting this was getting to her. Okay. Now, but to Hannah, he says here he gave he gave her a double portion because he loved her. Okay, so you've got you got a situation here where. Hannah's, Hannah's husband loved God, and he loved her. wasn't the best situation, but it was, it was the situation I want you to see. And within that, something, something happened, right? It says, because he loved her. But I want you to see here, though God had closed her womb, so the reason that she wasn't having children was that God had a plan. You need to see that. God had a plan. God had a purpose that she didn't have any children. And I want you to understand that that, that happened a lot in the scriptures, right? I mean, and I don't know, I, th- I think it could be a pretty cool picture um, when you look at all of them. You look at Sarah and Isaac. Remember how old she was when she had Isaac and she'd waited and waited and waited and waited and it was, it was, she was, in fact, so old that she was way past the time when she was even able to have children. And yet it was a miracle-type birth. Because God was, God was painting a picture throughout the Old Testament that would point to who Christ is. Because Isaac was a miracle birth, and it became a picture. Sarah and Isaac became a picture of Mary and Jesus, a miracle birth. So you begin to see these things match up as God's painting a picture. And there's this picture here, too. And, but there were others, right? There was Rachel, right, with Joseph, if you remember her sister Leah. There was Manoah's wife. We don't know her name, but Manoah's wife who, Samson, it was the same situation. Um, you know, Elizabeth with John the Baptist. So this theme is in the scriptures. Is God, you know, making, 
making, making these ladies wait because he had a point and he had a purpose. Samuel was going to be a big deal. He was going to be a huge deal. He was going to be one of the great, the great giant figures in Israel's history that God was going to use to change a whole lot of things. But we'll talk about that at the very end. Well, here's the thought. Look at verse 6. And her rival used to provoke her. This is why polygamy is a, is a train wreck waiting to happen. Can you imagine? Okay? And so, anyway, her rival used to provoke her. Well, again, take a look at it. Okay? More than likely, the picture here is, is Elkanah loved Hannah more than he loved the other one. Okay, that's going to go well in the house, right? And, uh, but she doesn't have any children. The other one's got as, as many as you can think. He gives one a double portion. And then, and then you've got one like Peninnah who's jealous and starts throwing barbs and hatefulness and, and stuff at Hannah. And so you've just got this nightmare of a home. Okay, I don't think I have to play that one up. I mean, it's hard enough making a marriage, husband, wife work. Uh, I'm not going there. And so you know what I'm talking about. So, so again, this became kind of a nightmare. So she used to, it says here, provoke her grievously. So just downright cruel towards Hannah because the Lord had closed her womb. So this went on year by year. And as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. That is, flaunt in front of her, that is to irritate her, that is to, to basically just rub her, rub her face in it. And it's therefore Hannah wept, that is cried, and she, and she stopped eating. So that brings us to an interesting situation. Because I think this is incredible. God, God had put it in her heart. God had given her a mom's heart, right? And that and then she knew that that's what she, that she was supposed to be. And yet she couldn't match it up with what was happening in her life. So you have this, again, I just wanted to set all that up, that up for you, just for you to understand as we walk through the rest of this, because it goes pretty quickly after that. And there's a couple of things I'll point out along the way. By the way, okay, if you ever want to be who God calls you to be, you're always going to have tormentors. Does that make sense? That's just a little rabbit trail for you to take with you. But anytime anybody tries to live for who God is, I don't know why the tormentors show up. But this one, and she's being who she's supposed to be. And yet she has Peninnah who's accusing her because they used to look at it as if you didn't have children, you were cursed. That's not the truth. But that's what they thought. And so she would give her this hard time. But she knew her heart. She knew she had a heart that loved God and was living for him. God just had a plan for her life. And that plan included waiting. And waiting is never fun. If you've ever been there, you know what we're talking about. Waiting is never fun. So anyway, number one is Hannah's desperation. Again, this particular sheep, she was, I don't even have to read the verses again, but you'll find it in 1 Samuel chapter 7, 1 verse 7. It just talks about how it went on year to year. And she went to the house of the Lord. And basically it got to where she, she just started crying. And, and then she just stopped eating because it was that, it was that important, it was that important to her, okay? Um, scripture tells us, obviously, the, the other moms that in, it was, it's a lot of things that are similar. Which brings us to number two, which I'm going to call this Hannah's prayer, okay? Hannah's prayer. I tell you what, before I do that, i got to see this. This is just absolutely hysterical. Look at verse, 
Where is it, guys? Is it in verse 8? Did I have you skip that one? Take a look at uh, in verse 8. And Elkanah, look at, listen, listen to this, uh, ladies, this is classic. And Elkanah, <laughs> and Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why are you crying? You know, I don't know about most guys, but me. I don't know what to do when girls cry. Um, and then God gave me three daughters. And I, I you know... But usually, but usually when they cry, you always say something stupid. And, and you're trying to help. And uh, I'm not saying all guys are like that. I just happen to be one of them. And I think Elkanah has to, happens to be one. Right? <laughs> Here's what he says. Right? And Elkanah, her husband, says, Hannah, why are you crying? And why aren't you eating? And why is your heart sad? Am I, am I not more to you than ten sons? Yeah, thank you, Elkanah, but that's not, that's not helping the situation, you know. Nice romantic thought, but it didn't work. Okay, so uh, it's like giving black roses on Valentine's Day. I don't encourage that. So, so you have this thought. You, you, again, you, you, you have this situation. Now you see it clearly. And, um, and then they obviously they head off to shallow, but they head off to shallow for their for their time of worship, the time during the year where they all went. By the way, that was a big deal. Whenever every, every I mean, in fact, they told everybody to come from all over Israel. They would meet at Shiloh, and it was a big deal. They would sacrifice, but they would also spend time together. It became almost like a fair type atmosphere uh, because you got to see people you hadn't seen in a long time, and it just became a big deal. And but it became miserable to her because every time she went and saw everybody. You have Peninnah with all the kids, and you've got her standing by herself. And again, you just see it. It just has this picture. So this, this desperation, it went to a prayer. Now, there is an incredible, let me go ahead and tell you this. Ladies, you can read it later. Uh, guys, too, if you want to. In chapter 2, it records a prayer that she gives after God gives her a child. And she praises the Lord for this this child that God gave her. And, um, and it's very similar. In fact, Mary copies several lines of it in her Magnificat, you know, when she praised the Lord when she gave birth to Jesus, all right, when she was pregnant with him. And uh, it's the same, I think she patterned it after Hannah here. So you have some other pictures here. There's just not enough time to tell you about them all. So anyway, this prayer it says in verse 10 that she was deeply distressed. So there at Shiloh, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. And she vowed, and she said, Lord, oh, Lord of hosts, if, if you'll just look at me, look at the affliction of your servant, and remember me. That word remember me finds its way on the thief on the cross also. This whole thought of, Lord, remember me in this situation. And don't forget your servant. But if you'll give your servant a son, Lord, he'll be yours all the days of his life, and no razor will touch his head. You know, what does it mean no razor will touch his head? We have to remember that when you, uh, when you look at this, this was called, uh, this no razor will touch his hair, this is, was a Nazarite vow. And it's, it was, it's talked about in other parts of the Old Testament. But the Nazarite vow, it had several things. But it was basically someone who was set aside who would uh, 
who would, who would be dedicated to who God was. Uh, Samson was a Nazarite. I mean, he didn't do real well, but you know what I mean? I mean, he did okay, but, but you know what I'm talking about. But that became the picture. And so she said, she said, Lord, I, 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 she had a prayer. And this prayer turned into a desire. Now, this one's interesting. And she continued praying before the Lord, it says there, and Eli observed her. Okay, what, what does that mean? Well, let me just give you a little bit of the look here. Okay. Hannah was speaking in her heart. That is, she was in the tabernacle praying and praying intently about being a mom and about her desires as a mom. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it says only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. That is, she was praying silently. Then Eli, who's the high priest, he thought she was, he thought she was drunk. Okay, one of two things is the, is the case here, okay? Either, either Eli is way, way, I mean, if he can't tell the difference between a woman who's praying and a woman who's drunk, then he, he's way off base. Or what I tend to think is that the, it was a sign of the times. Perhaps it had happened other times, people come in drunk to, 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 to the temple or the tabernacle. In fact, when they all got together, it became such a Mardi Gras type atmosphere that it, it, it got way away from why they were supposed to be there and it got into more of the party, which is obviously what Mardi Gras has happened. And so when you, when you look at that, when you think and understand, so you see then the culture in which they grew up, okay? But number three, with Hannah's desire, again, her desire found in verse 11 was, Lord, I just... God, I just, I not only want a child, but I want, I want him to be, I want him to be yours. And this desire presents itself, and this desire is incredible how it shows up in different things. You know, this is what she wanted for her child. This was the goals and desires for her child. And your goals, moms, this is where I want to encourage you some, but also challenge you a little bit. Because we've got lots of moms in the room. But what are your goals and desires for your children? If I was to ask you that, don't answer them out loud. But if I was to ask you, those all the ones that they are all up here and the ones of you that still have children around you and still have children at home, I have a question for you. When you look down at them, what is it that you want more for them than anything else? Because that will drive you in the way that you parent them. That'll drive you in the way that you correct them. That'll drive you in pretty much everything you do. And it's that unwritten thing that you've got in your heart that you want for them. Now, if you ask most moms, hey, what is it that you want for your children? They, they make some comment, generalized comment, that doesn't mean anything. They make some comment like, well, I just want them to be happy. Okay, well, that's the most nebulous answer in the world. The greater question is, how are you going to do that? What is it that you think that would make them happy? It's going to drive you, moms. I was 10 years a student pastor working with teenagers. And I've seen moms and dads who would do most anything for their kids to get ahead. 
what they would call get ahead. Uh, school, you know, all of this exterior and how you look on the outside and, and, and moms and dads, you teach far more by what you don't say than what you do. This is an incredible thing. I want to challenge all of us as parents. What is it that you want most for your kids? I want them to, I like for them to be successful. Oh yeah? Okay, that's great. But what does that look like? And in the end, is that what's really going to make them happy? Again, I want everybody to succeed. Success is the God of our culture, right? But that's not, I'm here to tell you, it's, it's how you define success. Again, like happiness says a whole lot about you. Let's think about it for a second. I found something out. Martha and I got married. I was 26. I've been in school all my life, and I was so ready to be out of school. But I finished school when I was 26. Then Martha and I got married when I was 26. And I went to my first church before we got married. And uh, I was a student. I was a student pastor. And then a few months later, about nine months later, Martha and I got married. And then she came to, uh, she, uh, she came and stayed with me. And we were in Savannah, Georgia. And I remember, I remember, uh, I remember when we found out we were expecting. It was just nine months after we were married. And, um. And uh, that was 26 years ago. That's, that's just nuts. But, but that when we had our first child. And, um, and I remember, and the hard, thing about, the hard thing about doing a Mother's Day message is, is that I, I'm not a mother. Does that make sense? And, um, I, but I know, I, know the, I know the changes that happen when a child's born. By the way, moms become moms nine months before dads become dads. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I don't know about you, but moms are already moms. And for a guy, your wife's just gaining weight, right? And so, and I mean, in a good way. I mean, I don't mean anything bad there. No woman's ever lost weight being pregnant. At least I don't think they have. But anyway, so you have this picture then, but I remember, I remember when Sarah was born. That was our oldest. In fact, she'll be here in a few days. And I remember holding her. And I remember thinking to myself, Lord, you know, first of all, lots of things jump on the back of a dad that don't jump on the back of a mom and vice versa. You know, uh, I immediately began thinking about other things. Martha began thinking totally different, but that's the mom and dad role. They're different, but together they can work. If they work together, they can be pretty, they can be pretty good. But anyway, but I remember, here's what I thought I remember. I think of this. Not long after. Because you've all heard the stories about pastor's kids. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You've all heard the stories. You've all seen them, perhaps. I don't know. And don't make any judgments. Don't say any names. But, but I begin to look. I began to look and say, Lord, I do not want that to happen to my children. And then I began thinking, why is it that pastor's kids struggle? I think part of it is the, is the fishbowl existence, but I don't think that's totally it. I think most of it is, is that mom and dad get so busy in the ministry that they neglect to be for their kids 
who their kids need them to be. Does that make sense? Whenever you allow other things, other people, or business, or whatever else, whenever you allow that to take priority over your kids, and so then pastor's kids wind up resenting the ministry because their pastor and the wife spend more time taking care of everybody else's kids and neglect their own. Does that make sense to you? And I said, that's not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. And guys, that's a choice that I think everybody makes, not just someone who's a pastor. That just is unique for me. Every one of us has a unique situation. But when it comes down to it, you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to make a choice if that kid's a priority. You have to make a choice. What is, what, is, what is my greatest goal for my kids? The greatest goal I had for my kids is that they would know the Lord and, and, and love him. Not just act good at church. Does that make sense? Because it's not about me. It's not about my kids just being able to look good in front of everybody else, but they're terrible at home. You see, I wanted, I wanted not just for them to act right, I wanted them to know who God was. In fact, there was a great verse in Ephesians chapter 3. Moms, just hang on to these verses. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. He considers them his children in the faith. And so he's encouraging them. And this is what he said. And I've prayed this for my children many times. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is Paul talking about the Ephesians. For whom every family in heaven, okay, and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through the Spirit, here we go, in the inner being. So early on, I had this heartbeat that my kids would know God, not just try to act right so dad wouldn't look bad in front of everybody. Does that make sense? I never got on to my kids for how they embarrassed me. And they embarrassed me quite a few times. Right? When one of my kids took a toy from another kid and hit him over the top of the head in the nursery at the church, it's kind of hard to hide. All right? But remember this. Moms, do you want your kids to act right or do you want them to be right? Be right is going to take a lot of your time and effort. Act right. You can just yell a lot. That might help. That might do it. But if you want what's best, it's not just getting behavior in order. It's this, it's this, put that back up there. It's inside, the inner being. I prayed that for my kids for so many years. God, I want them to know you. Not just be religious, not just go through the motions on the outside because they've been taught to act a certain way in front of other people. That, I, that just makes me sick to my stomach. Does that make sense? So moms, the encouragement I have for you today is I can't tell you how powerful your role is. Even though it's tedious and even though it can be frustrating, I can't tell you how powerful it is. And it follows you the rest of, the rest of your kids' lives. Dads too, but we're not talking to dads today. Talking to moms. What I'd be the most powerful role on earth. Why? Because it's a mom that has those kids in the earliest of the years. Dad's almost inconsequential for the first few years. I find that incredible. But you know, other than making them smile and on the floor, 
mom, those little ones are born in the world to need mom. And it's just this incredible picture. Anyway, the rest of that verse, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts. Okay? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It goes on this, or the other great parts of it. But with that thought then, what's the desire you have? What's the desire you have? Do you care more that your kids do well in school than they do well at church? You don't think they hear you? You don't think they, you don't think they, you've never said that. You've never said school is more important than your relationship with God. But what you parent, they pick up on. And you have to do it intentionally. And that's amazing how that works. Incredible. First and foremost in my, in my kids' lives, you know, I, and I did. I was, I was fairly tough on them in school. But the most important thing to me, most important thing to me, most important thing to me is that they knew and loved God. I couldn't force them to do that, but they knew that that was what's most important to me. That's something. Just want that just to sink in for a second because it's real easy to let everything else. You know, I found this incredible. You can't tell you how many times. You just used to do stove. Let me tell you what, don't ever say this to me. Well, I didn't want to make them go to church. Because I always like to tell you, okay, I understand, I understand what you're saying. You're just wrong. Because you make them go to school. Well, what if they don't want to go to school? Well, I make them go anyway. Why? Why? Because it's important. Oh, so you're teaching importance. You see what I'm talking about? What is it that you want most? If you're gut level honest, interesting things to think about. But I want you to see that not only was Hannah desperate, but she had a desire. And so, and that desire turned into something pretty important, which is what I want to call dedication. And we're just about to be done. But take a look at this piece here. Verse 21 through 20. Three, and I'm going to have to, there's number one, two, and three under there if you want to write some of these down. It's what I call sacrificial love, okay? It's what I call selfless love, and those two are similar. And then the other one is shared love. But either way, the thing that a mom does the best is love their children, but usually it's just not love, it's, it's a sacrificial love. You know, there's one thing that all of us have, and it's a mom. And it's incredible to me through the years how I've observed the love that a mom has for their children. And, uh, and when it's a positive situation, when you've got a committed mom, love, love is so much, is so deep that it, it can not only, not only forgive sin, but it can overlook it too. You know, the one thing that people have learned from mom is that mom usually always loved me no matter how bad I was. And there's something about learning that type of a love, and there's something about that type of love and the impact it makes on a person's life. That's why I say that mom's got the most incredible role, because if you keep loving a kid, no matter who they are or what they've done, that impacts them. Why? Because sacrificial love turns into selfless love. And anytime you have self-centered love, which is where our culture is, 
you almost always have devastation around it. Why? Because if everybody's selfish, then nobody's talking to anybody. So you have then this incredible thought and picture. Interesting. So she got up from praying. I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. So she got up from praying. And she was convinced after her time in prayer, God was going to answer it. She got up and she ate. Went along the way. And before long, uh, she conceived. She had a son. He was born. She named him Samuel. The name Samuel means given from God or offspring of God kind of thing. A child of God. Which again, the parallels with Christ, we don't have time to talk about. But as I close with this thought, all right, she said, I asked him for the Lord. And then obviously Elkanah said, okay, it's time to go back to Shiloh for the sacrifice. And, and she said, as much as I would like to go, because you don't know many years I've been going and I haven't had any children. Now I have, but no, 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 I'm, I'm staying home. I'm staying home. And, you know, that's what happens. Kids are a lot of problem. They're a lot of bother, and they get in the way of life. But I'm here to tell you, it, it is the most important role. So she stayed back with him. And then basically she, she raised him for the first years, and she took him to the temple because she promised to do this. And, uh, and he became, he became living. And he, she'd visit him uh, every often, bring him clothes and spend time with him. But I don't know that there's anyone who had an influence in Samuel's life quite like Hannah did. But, you know, as we close, which is the final thought, Hannah's destiny, she wound up being the mom of Samuel. Samuel, Samuel was pivotal. In fact, he was one of the top, I'd say, three or four characters in Israel's history. I want you to know that Israel went through a horrendous time. If you want to read the ugliest book in the Bible, read Judges. I mean, it is ugly. And then Samuel transitioned a time of real ugliness in the life of Israel. And really, through him, changed the course. And they became more of a God-fearing nation because of, because of Samuel. This guy, this guy was central. And it all started with a mother's prayer. I find that incredible. It all started with a mother's prayer. And God, she said, remember me, and God heard her and granted a child to her, but not just a child, but a child with purpose. Oh, I just found that incredible to me. A mom's prayer. A mom's prayer. As I, as I close, there's more, more in here. But you guys have, as I like to say, you have not listened fast enough. And so, and so I'm going to go ahead and end it. But let me just kind of close with, with just this thought. You know, there was a there was a lady who wrote this to her children, and I just wanted to read it to you, and this is where I'll be done. She said, this is what she said. One day my children will be old enough to understand the logic that motivates a mother. Okay, now this is a woman who wrote this. This is just Jeff reading it. You got that piece, right? All right, good. I loved you enough to ask where you were going, with whom, and what time you'd be home. I loved you enough to insist that you save your own money and buy your bike, even though we could have bought it for you. I loved you enough to be silent and let you discover that your new best friend was a creep. <laughs> I loved you enough to make sure, or I, excuse me, I loved you enough to make you take a Milky Way uh, candy bar back to the store with a bite out of it. 
and tell the clerk that you stole it and now want to pay for it. I loved you enough to stand over you for two hours while you cleaned your room, a job that it would take me about 15 minutes. I loved you enough to assume the responsibilities of your own actions, even when the penalties were so harsh they almost broke my heart. Most of all, I loved you enough to say no, even though I knew you would hate me for it. Those were the most difficult battles, and I'm glad I won them, because in the end, you won too. Mom. You know, ain't nobody can do that but mama. And as I, just as I closed that day, I just wanted a day, first of all, to be a little bit of a day where it challenged moms, but mostly, I wanted today to be about reassuring you of how important that role is, right? And encouraging you to do the best at it that you can. It's like I've heard moms tell me before, I don't know how moms be mom without God in their life to give them the strength. I get that piece. I get that piece. So as I close, moms, just understand that. And remember, if you're a mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother, you never stop that role. You never stop praying. Hannah not only prayed for children, she prayed for her children. And, uh, and when you think on those things, don't ever stop those things. No matter if they're grown or gone, I don't know, there's something about the consistently, consistency, sacrificial, and never give up heart that is in, is in a mom. All right, good deal. Let's all stand. We'll have a closing word of prayer. And uh, happy, happy Mother's Day, right? Happy Grandmother's Day. Happy Great-Grandmother's Day. And for one, we have Happy Great-Great-Grandmother's Day. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great, uh, great, uh, a great afternoon together. Come on up, Anthony. Hey, I'm headed to the guest reception. And if you'd like to stop by, I'd love to, I'd love to meet you today. Also remember that the beach baptism table is out there if you want to sign up. It's not today. It's next Sunday. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. All right, Anthony, what's close? Thanks, Pastor Jeff. Yeah. Round of applause to moms. Such a great morning. Uh, also want to tell you, if you didn't know already, if you were here for one of our uh, families that was part of the baby dedication, we're going to do a reception for them. Uh, right down this connector, just keep going straight down here in the fellowship center. It's at the end of the hall. Uh, that guest reception, there Pastor Jeff's going to be heading, is right here on your right. It's a glass room. And if you're not plugged into a uh, small group here, we, we really push our small groups. We know we're a larger church. Uh, we'd love to see you plugged into just a smaller community where you can grow. Uh, our connection center is right out here on the left. So if you come out here and go left, we'd love to get you plugged into a group today. And I won't talk anymore because I know you're all going to brunch. So I will pray and then we'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for moms and for the impact that they have. Uh, God, I pray that you would um, just be with us as we go and celebrate mom today. Bring us all back safely next week. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.